Over the next several episodes, we will address our 10th and final Teaching Like Ted Lasso theme, planning. Welcome, I'm Dave. I'm John. And this is Teaching Like Ted Lasso. Warning, we expect that you have watched Ted Lasso. There will be spoilers ahead and scenes that don't make sense if you don't have some familiarity with the show. Our original plan for this podcast is that it wasn't going to be an episode-by-episode podcast. Right, because that's not our purpose. We thought that there were (laughs) ten themes that we could come up with. We weren't quite sure what those themes were to begin with. And in fact, this this last one uh, took till a month or so ago. And then we decided that it was going to be planning. Right. In the process of that, and in the process of the research that we do, we were looking at, at different scenes, but one episode kept coming up over and over again. Yeah, season three, episode seven, The Strings That Bind Us. So this is where the team is first learning of Ted and Beard and Roy's plan for total football. For total football. The following is from season three, episode seven. All right, fellas, we wanted y'all to know a little bit about the history of total football because that's what we're going to start playing here. So what does this have to do with planning? The first thing was intentionality. And what does that mean for you? One of the problems we deal with as teacher educators is that people tend to teach like they were taught, Mm -hmm. right? And there's all this classic research about the teacher education doesn't matter to some extent because this effect of teaching like you were taught is so powerful. And it makes sense. You know, we have them for 100 hours, and they spent 10,000 hours in a classroom. I haven't actually thought through those numbers, so I will have to at some point. The, uh, um, <laughs> and I want them to be intentional about what they're doing. So that when they're making decisions and doing things in the classroom, it's because they want to be doing that, not just because that's what's always been done. Right. So what does intentionality mean to you? I think that there are teachers who have some some intuition to be able to, to do things well. And I think that what intentionality means is helping those teachers through coaching and reflection to be able to say, this is what's worked, let's do more of it, right. as opposed to that just happened to work. Right. And to go beyond those teachers, right? So there's not just about, you know, those teachers who are really good at making those kind right. of intuitive jumps. Right. So that's something that everybody can access. Right. So making, having it be a collaborative thing. So that's why I like coaching or reflection. I mean, that was what was so powerful about the mid boss early on, right? Was people were blogging and reflecting and sharing it with the world, which goes along with John Dewey's discussion where we ought to be very careful about having these lone genius teachers who, once they leave the profession, they take that wisdom with them. What we want, well, part of what we wanted this to be about, like I said, we've had some really great teachers and researchers. We want to create a record and be able to share that record with the world. Right, because those are the conversations we value having. Right. And this was a way to think about how to share those with other people. But that intentionality requires more than just isolated pieces. Um, tell me more. One of the, the reoccurring themes in Ted Lasso is bird by bird. So that's Anne Lamott's amazing book about writing, where it's both a memoir and kind of her advice 
uh, that she shares with people about writing. Mm -hmm. We got a chance to hear her at Calvin College Festival of Writing one year. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how many of those themes are still, like, she hasn't moved on. Right? Mm -hmm. This is mm -hmm. the core of how she thinks about writing. Right. And it's based on, uh, the title comes from a story she relates in the book that you were sharing. So the story is that her brother, he was supposed to do a project, make a, a booklet of a bunch of different birds. And he'd waited till the last minute and was just distraught because he wasn't going to get this project done. And heard her father say, just do it bird by bird. Just take it one at a time. By breaking a big project with a, a ultimate goal down into smaller pieces, able to finally get that project done. Right. Whereas it felt insurmountable at the, at the right. beginning. So that if you're thinking of writing a novel, that's just too big. Right. right? It's just, what's the next scene? Right. What's the next page? Mm -hmm. What's my next two hours writing? Right. right. If you're thinking about teaching 180 days of school, that can seem insurmountable. So how do you break, how do you have a, a long-term goal, but break it down into bird by bird? One of my favorite teachers writing is Dylan Kane. Mm -hmm. He has a Substack that's a great subscribe. He was just, just his most recent piece was about just the next thing. Kind of get yourself away from these huge changes in teaching. You know, teaching is going to be this, a huge new initiative. Mm -hmm. Just like, what's the next thing I can work on? that's gonna make it better for me or better for learners or what's the, the manageable next piece, which is a planning kind of thing. Right? Right. Thinking about, well, what can I do next? Right. And so in the show, Ted has this plan of introducing the total football with these four things. The following is from season three, episode seven. All right, my merry pranksters. We gonna play total football. There are four things we need to focus on, all right? Number one, conditioning. Y'all gotta get in even better shape. Number two, versatility. Number three, awareness. And number four, well, I don't know what that one is yet, but I know it's important. The first one is conditioning, stamina. We've been talking about it. We're, again, trying to relate it to, to teaching, obviously. Perseverance. Resilience. Yeah, and perseverance, particularly in problem solving, right? right. So that, that's at the heart of what we want students to be able to do. If we are expecting in our classroom more student participation, what is it that we're going to do? What's the conditioning? It was interesting, I was just talking to student teachers about this. They're having a hard time getting, they're working with middle schoolers, getting them involved, engaged in, in a lesson. They've been conditioned to have the teacher do all the work. Right. And so we were talking about how do we change that conditioning. And Jordan, who I think you know, suggested, what if we just do small little bits at first? It's something that Kathy taught me as she used to talk about independent reading with first graders. Right. But you start very small, and then you build, and you build, and you build. Can you expand on Jordan's thinking? Like, so what makes it, what's an example of a small bit you could ask a student? So it was like, let, give us five minutes of teamwork on this, and after that, we'll give you a five-minute break or something like that, and then yeah. build it to ten minutes, and then, and so, which was, again, what Kathy did. She started with a minute, you know, let's, just, let's try doing this for a minute, and, and you build on success. And it's amazing, I think, teachers who are aware of that kind of stuff, the difference it can make 
for students. I was just talking with a first grade teacher this week about her students were doing an activity that I hadn't seen before. They were using tacks to push through paper. It's an occupational therapy task. Mm. And she said that they normally would do that for a couple of weeks in the fall. But these are kids who spent a lot of time in COVID just tapping a screen. Mm. And so that they literally can't write because they haven't developed kind of their coordination and muscles in their hand. And so she's making time every week for some of this activity where they go to the carpet and they're pushing thumbtack through a paper, thinking about conditioning that the learners need to be able to do, which he knows they want them to be able to do later. Nice. So the next one is versatility. And again, we, I think that that's the exact same thing we want in our classrooms. We want to our students to be able to be able to adapt to different situations. There's the Ploya quote that says, you know, I'd rather someone solve one problem five ways than five problems one way. And we both believe that teachers are problem solvers and that we want our students to be problem solvers. And I think that, that that's part of that ability to adapt. So what do you think about versatility? Well, it's interesting to think about in the classroom, right? Because to some extent, we might feel like we're asking all the learners to do the same thing, mm-hmm. right? So then where does versatility come into it? With complex instruction, there's some thought to versatility because you're giving roles and then you're asking different people to have different roles on different days. Oh, interesting, yeah. yeah. And also maybe the kind of, depending on what your norms are, right? But one of the norms that I've got from Joy is uh, no one's done till everyone understands. Mm-hmm. There's some versatility in that because it's going to be different people on different days who are the last ones to understand. Mm-hmm. You're switching from your role of figuring out what it is to being able to explain what it is. This idea of monitoring your group mates, right? Mm-hmm. What do they know? What do they not know? Mm-hmm. And then finding out from them what they're thinking is. Right. Boy, there's a lot of different roles in there. How about for you? Well, it just reminds me again of the conversation I had with the student teachers. One of the things that they want to do is build more confidence in their learners. And one of the ways that they brainstormed and talked about was asking them to be the teacher. And I know you were talking about that you were in class where you want more of the learners leading the discussion, becoming the teachers right. as opposed Again, I thought that that was a wonderful insight on their part of, of asking the, the students to begin taking over more of a role of just even in small groups or with other individuals. It reminds me of Bob Moses and the Algebra Project where students are mentoring the, the next generation. In Algebra, it reminds me of John Hades idea that the best classrooms are where teachers become students and students become teachers. So we're going to start something called total teaching, aren't we? <laughs> Built on four principles. Anyway, so well, but we're only halfway. So what's third? What's the third principle? Conditioning, versatility, awareness. So what does that mean for you? No, if I name awareness, you're supposed I to have to do you oh, think okay. You'd think we'd have this all planned out. <laughs> I love where Ted says, you have to ask yourself, what does this situation mean? So it's being aware of what your teammates are doing, being aware of what's happening on the pitch, and as a result of that, filling in, helping out, right. being present. Yeah, and the beautiful illustration of the show is not on the field. 
Mm -hmm. right? It's Sam has had vandalism happen to his restaurant, and the team shows up. Right. And he wa he wants to know who's who did this, who planned this, who did this, and it's all of them. Yeah. Right. Knew that this was what was needed. So, what does this mean in the classroom? What does the idea of awareness mean in the classroom? I mean, I already mentioned that goal of we're not done till everyone understands. Also, in the roles, right, you're responsible for different things. You have to be aware, does everybody have what they need? Is the middle space being maintained? Is everybody participating, right? Because complex instruction is all about trying to get at, you know, why are people excluded from the group process? If you're going to include people, you've got to be aware. Are they participating? Are they not participating? That reminds me of Nicora's talking about broken squares or Joy's talk to us about broken circles. And Have you done that in your, your class? Uh, not this semester yet, okay. but it's it's a fascinating activity to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just did it with one group and it was very much them afterwards as we were debriefing, talking about figuring out what other people needed. It's a great, I think, a great example of what this this particular part of total teaching looks like. Yeah. But now there's that fourth one, and we don't know what the fourth one is. And so we've talked about what's the difference between having three and being open to later adding more, and saying explicitly there are four and we only know three. Well, let's see what Ted has to say about that. The following is from season three, episode seven. So, Ted. This number four. Yes, sir. You haven't said what it is yet. No, ma'am. But you know what it is. I don't, actually. Mm -hmm. What about you, coach? I'm agnostic. Mm -hmm. Roy? I know. Number four has yet to reveal itself. There isn't a number four? Like the man once said, sometimes you gotta leave space to let God walk into the room. Ah, so number four is God. Oh, no, I don't think so. Coach? I'm an atheist. Mm -hmm. Roy? Can I have not? You and I have both been saying for a long time that we think that all teachers ought to have improv. One of the best things that I've heard, and I think it's related to this scene that we just watched, was Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt on Brene Brown's podcast, where they were actually talking about a Quincy Jones documentary. And I'm going to read, this is uh, Jason speaking. Quincy Jones talks about when you're making something that you want to get it like 75% of the way there and leave room for the magic. He says, quote, you've got to get it to where it's supposed to be, but leave space for God to walk into the room. I don't think that it's a mystery then that in this scene, there's three fours, 75%. I think he was thinking about that documentary. I think he was thinking about Quincy Jones. Right. And I like the effect it has, how engaging it is to the players, that they are trying to think of what the fourth thing is. Whereas I think if you've got three things and maybe there's more, that really leaves it with Ted. Mm -hmm. But they're all thinking about. Yeah. Danny just comes in and says it's sacrifice. Ted seems to know for some reason that it's not. Nope. That's a good thing. But yeah. 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 Nice try. So what does improv look like in our class? Why, why do we think that that's important? 
one of your stories that I tell, right, is is about your worst year teaching. Yeah. So would you share that? Yeah. So my worst year teaching was my second year. My first year, I was hired just two days before class started. Which, yeah. I, anybody who knows you, oh, that was hard. Yeah. I always felt like I was behind, and I was also coaching. I mean, there, I I just didn't. Fortunately, I didn't have a family, so I wasn't you know neglecting anyone. <laughs> but I always felt like I was behind. And the second year then, I, I promised myself that I was going to know what I was going to do. If you'd asked me what was going on the 60th day of class, I could have told you. Mm. I spent all summer. Teachers do not have summers off. I spent it planning, and it was my worst year of teaching. Because I put all that time in it, I had invested all that time in it, I'd had a, I had 100% done. I was not responsive to my students. And my students, they were not impressed. They weren't impressed by how much time I put into it. And it was definitely a rough year. I don't know that I necessarily understood the importance of improv at that point, but I certainly came to understand the need to be more responsive, to have, so I think about that 25% as being inviting in others to, to contribute. Yeah. It feels like there's some tension between intentionality and improv, right? Because right? intentionality feels like what, more like what we traditionally associate with planning. Right. So it might feel odd to think about improv as part of planning. There's a couple things that come to mind with this, this tension between improv and intentionality. And the one is, uh, and, and I'm not a huge fan of this quote, but it resonates for some reason. The idea that no plan survives its first encounter with the enemy. I, I don't right. like to think of my students as the enemy, <laughs> but I think that that has some of the same, I don't think pl our plans survive the first encounter with any humans, right? right? Because humans are unpredictable. Like my experience, if you're too planned, it's not gonna go well, what are you gonna do instead? Right. And so somehow you also have to at least accept that there's going to be this need to adjust. Right, and vice versa. You know, if I walk into the classroom and I have no idea what's gonna happen, maybe there's somebody who can improv an entire lesson and have it come out well, right. that's not me. Especially if you don't have that long-term vision. I, I don't think you read Improv Wisdom, Mm. Improv Wisdom by Patricia Ryan Madsen. The subtitle is Don't Prepare, Just Show Up. What she's talking about is that over-preparation. So right. this is, again, the 75%. She talks about being willing to be mediocre, mm -hmm. not trying to be the best, but being willing. I don't know that this applies to <laughs> Ted Lasso, but I think it, uh, it does apply in the classroom to give ourselves permission to, to allow, again, for others to come in and contribute to, to that and not feel like, like John Dewey was saying, that we have to be the lone genius in the classroom. Yeah, I, that's a powerful thought. As kind of permission to yourself, I think it opens up to be able to try more things. It, the I, improv performers don't expect a cinematic quality performance each time. That's not what they're doing. So teaching is much more like the improv than it is like making a movie. 
we don't get a multiple of takes and to try it from different angles. Well, even when we do, if I was teaching maybe five classes that were identical in that one year, they were identical, <laughs> you know, but it wasn't authentic. It was life-sucking because there wasn't that energy that often comes from back and forth. It was, it was more me trying to remember exactly what I was yeah. supposed to do and spending a lot of time trying to get you to do what I thought you were supposed yeah, to no, do. At that point, you're supposed to say <laughs> right. the perimeter right. Right. is double the width right. plus double the length. Right. So, but it didn't go that way. And I stuck to it. And it reminds me in the second season, Beard After Hours, there's this whole thing about first Tyrion, Ray, and then May complained to Beard that they didn't change tactics, that they had to know that it was a bad idea and they didn't change. Right. It's much different than in this episode, episode seven, where they make a halftime adjustment. Mm -hmm. The following is from season three, episode seven. <clears throat> you got something you want to say, James? Uh, I mean, yeah, but great. Let us have it. Well, I don't want people to think I'm being a <laughs> if I say it. Okay. Well then, I ain't doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Whoa! Whoa. I mean, I mean, no. I mean, I think we're all doing it wrong. If we want this to work, you've got to stop going to me and start playing through me. You get me? Uh, look, just look, look. Can I, do you mind if I... Yeah, yeah. of course. Right. right. So, look, I, sh I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be playing forward. I should be here in the centre. I should be here, right? Let Danny go up front, move Colin over there, Richard there. So, stop going to me. Right, and start going through me. All right, that's total football. What do you make of that halftime adjustment? Well, it's interesting, right? Because they're, I mean, they're sticking to their principles of what they want to be doing. Right. But somehow there's a different way to approach, even though they know that they want these these principles to be right. the same. They don't seem to be a cohesive unit. They're doing all of these things, but they still haven't quite figured out how to to work together, how, how to manage the, the whole idea. Right. And so they've got that openness to change. We, we were talking about not over-metaphoring, right, this scene. So that scene isn't saying that the teacher has to be Jamie. Right, because like everything has to go through the teacher. Right, because Jamie steps in and, and has has the idea of a switch. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so Jamie, we, we're not suggesting that like in total football or the triangle, because it's the same thing in the triangle office in, in basketball, it goes through a player. Right. That's not what we're suggesting. We're suggesting maybe an overarching metaphor of listening to students. Right in some way they're telling you what they need. Speaking of making adjustments, you'd think we maybe <laughs> would have made this adjustment early on, but we decided what we want for this last theme that we might, again, if we were gonna do a whole episode one that our part might be a little bit longer. We, I, I just did not wanna cut our, our guests. 
and try to do that. Uh, this comes from your flexibility as a producer, that you're willing to kind of look at the interviews and think about kind of what's the, the best way to make these experts that we right. wanted to talk to, right. to make what they're sharing. Our original experiment was to, well, we cut them, but then we put out the full one. Right. And what the numbers show is that the full ones don't get listened to the same way that the, the episodes do. And so we want to make sure that these experts are heard. So we'll, we're going to do that, and then we're going to come back, and hopefully Kathy's going to join us to wrap it up, to, to talk a little bit more detail about lesson planning. There's at least a couple more maybe extras that are coming out after that. But again, this, this was always about our audience, and if our audience ever comes up with something that they see a connection with, with Ted Lasso, or if they just want to take it over. Yeah, we'll support you. Yeah, yeah. just let us know. Just yeah. reach out. So Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Dave. Thank you. Please check out our show notes for more resources. So best laid plans, nothing ever goes <laughs> according to plan. So this is our second try at this yeah. because the first try I hit record before I hit record. And so I was actually hitting stop. So I need to be a goldfish here. I need to forget about <laughs> what I just did. So not feel blame about that and shame about that, but also forget what I've told you and what I've not because <laughs> I might forget to tell you. So, right. yeah. Oh, but it was great. It was great. <laughs> you should have been you there. Should have, <laughs> really should have been there.